Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Wednesday and welcome to our program. I'm Bill Shanks in Waycross. Russ Brown back in Macon. First of all, we have to apologize. We are not at Carter's Fried Chicken today in Blackshear. Unfortunately, they had something come up and asked if we could come another day. So we will definitely do that at some point in the future, and we look forward to that. We were disappointed, but understand things come up, and they had to deal with something and wanted to be there as we were on the air, probably to cook all my fried squash. So they kindly asked if we could come another day, and we will do that. So uh, those of you who may have thought about coming by, Still go by and get some great fried chicken and fried squash, but we will not be there, at least not during the show today. May after the show, may stop by there after the show and get some squash, but nonetheless, we uh, wanted to point that out since we had said we would be at Carter's today, and we'll have to make it another day. All right, we got um, football, baseball, basketball to talk about, a lot to talk about on the program today, and... We will start with a little bit of football as we are now one week away from the start of free agency, so we can really start counting it down now of of what's going to happen and how the Falcons and the Jaguars, for that matter, are going to handle some things. The Jaguars made a move today to free up another $13 million, and that is they released Shaquille Griffin and he could get some attention on the free agent market. He had kind of an injury plague season last year. They had uh, Tyson Campbell and Rashawn Jenkins start all of their games at the cornerback position, and so Griffin was, I think he only played in about five games, if I remember correctly. But that move frees up $13 million, which is significant. That means another player can come in, and uh, again, it's fun kind of watching how the Jaguars are coming together with this team and and building around Trevor Lawrence. They were fortunate enough to have a horrible year in a time period where they could turn around the next year and draft a quarterback that they had really been looking for since Mark Brunel. I mean, they had had some quarterbacks who had come in, David Gerrard, Blake Bortles, Garrett Minshew, of course, but – uh, Trevor Lawrence is a different bird, and he's going to be a, a great player for many years for this Jaguars team. So the more they can free up and continue to build around him, and I would think by now Jacksonville has become a destination, which is not something you probably were able to say a few years ago, but now with Trevor Lawrence doing what he's doing, I would think there are plenty of people who would want to play. They've got to figure out what their deal is going to be at the offensive line position. Uh, of course, they've got Jawan Taylor, who's an unrestricted free agent. Cam Robinson's on the other end, kind of locked down on the left side, but Jawan Taylor is a free agent. Will they bring him back, or will they go out and get someone else? And that's a very big deal for them because they had a pretty steady situation on the offensive line. The only player who did not start all 17 games was Cam Robinson, who missed the final three games of the regular season, and Walker Little, who was a solid draft pick for them a couple of years ago, stepped in and started those three games. And many believe that Little could flip over there to the right side and replace Jawan Taylor if Taylor does, in fact, leave. I believe Taylor is a little bit like 
the Falcons right tackle Caleb McGarry, where he's more of a run blocker than a pass blocker. You know, Russ, that brings up something that's kind of interesting to me. We know that all sports are getting very analytical. And I wonder how football teams, NFL teams, and college football programs for that matter, how they grade the players who can be stronger in one facet of the game of blocking, like Kayla McGarry, who's a very good run blocker, not as good as a pass blocker. I wonder how they weigh that with analytics of how they are able to sacrifice that if the player is very, very good at the other part of his game. That I'll be interesting to ask someone who's a football stat head about that. Yeah, that is an interesting question. I mean, just right off the cuff, I would imagine – you know, you well, depending on the handedness of your quarterback, you would rate right tackles differently than you would left tackles. Sure. Uh, because you want to protect that quarterback's blind side, so pass block would be a premium. And then I think too, it, it depends on on the style of offense um, and, yeah. and and who and who and who the quarterback is too. But that that is an interesting thought right there. Like Caleb McGarry, we've always talked about how he's one of the better run blockers there is. But wh- where does that leave him overall because of the deficiencies with the pass blocking? And you're right. Are they able to sacrifice that deficiency more because he because he is a right tackle? I don't think there's any way they could handle that if he was a left tackle. So that that's interesting. And I would think that uh, you know if if they can overlook that, and if they do, this has got to be a part of the equation too. If they do, for example, believe that uh, Caleb McGarry can continue to improve slowly but surely in that facet. Um, then they'll probably want him back. And it's hard to know right now whether they do or don't because obviously they did not franchise him to bring him back. And therefore they have this seven-day period to bring him back and to try to work out a deal before he becomes a, a true uh, unrestricted free agent. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and um, But the Jaguars have a little bit more – a little bit more room, and it's going to be interesting to see if they bring in some more defense. That's still a question mark with them, and, and they have uh, one safety, Trey Herndon, who's an unrestricted free agent. Uh, they have um, um, Arden Key, who's an unrestricted free agent. He came in and really helped out last year, late in the year as well. You know, they, I think, could use some help with their their uh, front three. So Jaguars could save – that $13 million that they uh, 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 kind of have in their bank account now to spend on more defense. We know they have Trayvon Walker, they have Josh Allen, uh, but they need more, and they need somebody up front, to be honest with you, I think that would help out a great deal. Speaking of the Jaguars, and this is also a Falcons story as well, today Calvin Ridley, former Atlanta wide receiver and now with the Jaguars, wrote a – a letter to the sport, he said, uh, to the football world and everyone who loves this game on the Players' Tribune, which is the website that was created a few years ago to allow players to speak directly to uh, the fans and without any media folk. You may remember Jock Peterson's infamous letter on that Players' Tribune a few years ago, right before the World Series started, which I remember being on the plane going to Houston, and I read it, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to win the World Series because it was just kind of that kind of letter and those kind of comments that made you feel that Atlanta was, in fact, going to win the World Series, and, of course, of course they did. But Calvin Ridley today wrote the letter 
to the football world and everyone who loves the game. And then he said, I blanked up. Use the F word there. I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. In 2021, I made the worst mistake of my life by gambling on football. By no means am I going to sit here and read this entire letter to you. Uh, I, I did read it, however, and I will tell you that it's extremely impressive. He took full responsibility for what he did. He talked about how important football has been to his life and how he did not come from a very good situation. He was not trying to have any excuse whatsoever. He just repeated, I, I think one other time I blanked up and I, I thought it was refreshing. He didn't have to do that. He wasn't required that I know of to do that. I think for him to take that opportunity, knowing that there was a, 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 a an avenue for a player to go and to say the things he wanted to say was uh, was was very good, very very refreshing, and he took responsibility and wants to come back and be a football player. And you know there were some injury issues before his suspension, and he was dealing with some off the field stuff that obviously has um, been cleared up now a little bit for him. So it sounds like he's mentally and physically both on the right track, which is good. This is a very good player for the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, this guy, you know, he was drafted in 2018. He came out his rookie year. He had 821 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns, uh, a great compliment to Julio Jones. And you could tell what the Falcons were kind of setting him up for, and that is to be the replacement for Julio Jones. He had 866 receiving yards his next year with seven touchdowns, and then 1,374 yards in 2020 with nine touchdown catches before the 2021 season where he played in only five games and had 281 yards with two touchdowns. So he sounds like he's just refreshed. He is embarrassed. He is healthy and ready to go. And and look, I, I think that this was a tremendous move for the Jacksonville Jaguars to be able to get this guy and to bring him in with Trevor Lawrence to, you know, they have Zay Jones, they have Evan Ingram, they have Christian Kirk, who's a fine player, and now, <clears throat> excuse me, Calvin Ridley, uh, to go along with the possibility, as we've been talking about, of them perhaps getting another tight end, like a Darnell Washington, in the first round of the draft. Uh, I, I tell you, Russ, uh, first of all, you know, I, again, I just admire him for writing what he wrote. He kind of apologized to Atlanta in a way and talked about his love for Atlanta and for the Falcons. And obviously there was no problem there. Uh, but this kid could be a really fine addition for this Jaguars team. And, man, if he's got something to prove, oh, man, that could be one heck of a group of receivers for Trevor Lawrence moving forward. Yeah, it sounds – it's almost like that tale of, you know, you, you don't really miss something until it's taken away from you because, you know, with the – you know before it's like, well, why isn't he playing and a mental health issue or whatever, and it's like, yeah. you know, getting all that sorted out. And I think the Falcons did the right thing, you know, to, to let him kind of work those things out. And he, he makes a – I mean, he used his own credit card on his own cell phone. Um, <laughs> you know, but to own it like that, that – to me, it sounds like somebody that's really kind of, you know, grown up a little bit and put it behind them. And, and you're right. If you get a motivated Calvin Ridley, and look, he's going to be healthy. He hadn't played football in almost two years. Uh, he could have a real impact on that team. Could be crazy to watch what they do with those receivers. 
Evan Ingram coming back and then to have Ridley join uh, kind of the party, I would think that Marvin Jones would not be back since Ridley has now been cleared to play. But that's something that obviously is going to be left up to the Jaguars and their ability to bring in some some more talent. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see what uh, this Jaguars team looks like. But it looks like it's going to be a really good group of targets for Mr. Lawrence. All right. Um, D. Orlando Ledbetter today had a list of some of the players who he believes could be some targets for the Atlanta Falcons. And it was very interesting because some of these players are uh, the ones or some of the ones that we've been talking about. He mentioned Javon, Javon Hargrave, who was the first player listed by D. Orlando. And we're going to try to get him on for his normal Friday uh, appearance time this week, since the Falcons are getting ready for a very busy week. Look, uh, Javon Hargrave is 30 years old. He is 6'2", 305 pounds. He had 11 sacks last year. And, Russ, we have talked uh, about the possibility of adding a veteran player up front next to Grady Jarrett. Uh, I should mention that D. Orlando also mentions two other players that could be targets for the Falcons. Dalvin Tomlinson, who is 29 years old, 6'3", 325 pounds. Vikings did not sack as many people, has not sacked as many people as um, as uh, um, Javon Hargrave. He also mentioned Marcus Davenport, who I guess would still be could still be lined up to play next to Grady. He's a little bit more of a defensive end, a little bit uh, uh, lighter than the other two. Um, he is six six two sixty five, and he plays for New Orleans. And I read a little bit about him earlier this week, Russ, because, of course, of the of the ties with both Terry Fontenot, who was in on the drafting of Marcus Davenport a couple of years ago, and also Ryan Nielsen, their new defensive coordinator. We still don't know what exactly Ryan Nielsen's going to do. And there's some ambiguity in that of whether it's going to be a 3-4-4-3 or how he's going to try to line up this defense but uh, that is a name Marcus Davenport that you have to keep in mind but man Russ uh, I love the fact that the first name on D Orlando's list was Javon Hargrave yeah that, that that's the type of player that could really help and I think too you know when you're talking about the salary cap and, and kind of the budgetary thing go get your interior guy in free agency because they're not going to cost as much as the pass rusher and get your pass rusher in the draft, I wonder if that's the strategy, although they have been linked to other guys. And I think yesterday when they re-signed Lorenzo Carter, you know, that, that feels like more kind of a depth play right there. So they could still, you know, add another defensive end. Uh, just I don't think they're going to shy away from that just because they re-upped Carter. But, I mean, Javon Hargrave, and, and look, he's he's at that age at 30. Uh, yeah. But you, you just wonder if he's got two or three more good years in him um, to come in and try to help to turn this defense around. Well, he had 11 sacks last year, and obviously uh, I don't think they need him with Jordan Davis, right? I mean, that's kind of a, opens the door for Davis to take over there. Fletcher Cox is also a a free agent. He's 32. He's two years older. I mean, I love Fletcher Cox. He, he is a tremendous player, has been for a long time. I know he's 32, but, heck, I wouldn't mind him. But I think uh, since Hargrave is two years younger – he, he seems like the kind that you would want to invest in, and he may 
it may have just reached its peak a little bit later than than a Fletcher Cox, who's been a beast for for a good while. I mean, I I I love Fletcher Cox because one of the last times I went to a Falcons game was a, a Atlanta Philadelphia game. Fletcher Cox was down there, and he he was just a beast. He was fun to watch, and just the way he carries himself, he just looks like a mean SOV and football player. And uh, he and um, Hargrave together this past year, I mean that is a huge reason why the Philadelphia Eagles were in the Super Bowl. I mean, that defense was unbelievable. And, of course, the pass rush for them, I mean, they almost set a record for sacks in the NFL. They they and the Chiefs were at the top of the list when it comes to uh, pressuring the quarterback. So either one of those guys would be good. The other one that he mentioned, uh, two that he mentioned, Jesse Bates, the safety who by now, Russ, I'd almost be shocked if he's not a Falcon. I mean, we heard, what, about a week and a half ago that his agent also represents Cordero Patterson and several other Falcons players. He was at dinner with some of those players, including Patterson, about 10 days ago. I mean, I think that's going to be one of them right off the bat. I'd be shocked if it's not, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, that might be one of those 401 deals we were talking about <laughs> right after the deadline's up because, you know, it was a rumor, and then he's seen at dinner with everybody – uh, and and then the rumor didn't go away. So I would, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm with you. I would be shocked if Bates is not a, a Falcon. I'd be shocked if Bates isn't a Falcon before f- five o'clock on the first day of free agency. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I agree. And then he mentioned he mentioned uh, the McGlinchey kid from from uh, San Francisco, Mike McGlinchey, who and that's very interesting to me. Russ and I talked yesterday about the fact that, of course, the Falcons did not tag the franchise mark on Kayla McGarry, who we were talking about a little bit earlier in the segment. And that tag, franchise tag on McGarry would have been about $16, $17 million. And Russ and I were pretty much saying, hey, look, if if you've got to spend that much money on him and there are some issues or some questions still about his pass blocking ability, why don't you just go all in and try to sign Orlando Brown, who will be 27 years old later this year and seems to be the top offensive lineman on the Now, McGlinchey is an interesting player. He is 28 years old. He just turned 28, so he's just a little bit older than Brown, not much. Uh, a matter of fact, on his, on his uh, pro football reference page, it says that his cousin is Matt Ryan, which is kind of kind of interesting. But he has been a very good player for the San Francisco 49ers. He's 6'8", 3'10". Last year started 17 games. He only had one year where he had some injury issues. That was in in 2021. I mean, he's he's a five-year veteran, and I'm I'm not going to complain about pretty much any uh, offensive tackle. There's a lot to choose from, Russ, with guys like Orlando Brown, Taylor Lewan, the older player who, of course, we've got to see what his health is. Isaiah Wynn from the Patriots. I mentioned Jawan Taylor earlier. But, hey, Mike McGlinchey, that tells me at the least that there are some backup option in case, options in case McGarry does not come back. Yeah, which is a really good sign because it, 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 it tells me that this – regime or or, or, uh, Terry Fontenot and and Arthur Smith obviously being a former offensive lineman himself they understand how important this is so you know again it's it's there there are positions where you know you you would like to find the guy in the draft and 
you know, and again, that, that doesn't mean they've given up on Caleb McGarry. We'll have to wait and see if they've got a, a, a smaller deal worked out for him. Uh, but it, look, if you're going to have to overpay for a position, make sure it's a position like tackle. I mean, it's so vitally important to the success of your football team. I mean, we complained for years about the Falcons. I mean, they make this huge investment in Matt Ryan, but they don't inv- double down and protect the guy. And it sounds like this regime is really, really uh, making that a priority. To they're, they're, they're making the right things the priority, and that is find a pass rush, which is the whole reason they brought in the defensive coordinator they brought in, and, and get some offensive linemen in here to control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side so you can do what you want to do offensively. Absolutely. Well, we may have to ask our resident 49ers fan, Daniel Shirley, his thoughts on Mike McGlinchey, but 6'8", uh, that's a monster. And the other player that was released today, Russ, by Tampa Bay was one of their longtime tackles, Donovan Smith, who will turn 30 this summer. He's 6'6", 338, and he has been very valuable for the Buccaneers. He has played eight seasons in Tampa Bay as a tackle, split left and right tackle this past year, but was their left tackle for many years and only has missed uh, really a handful like less than seven I think games in his regular season in his career so you know I, I, I can't kind of like what we were saying about Bates I can't imagine they're not being an offensive tackle sign pretty quickly they, they know by now well I think they probably know by now the chances of McGarry coming back and if that's not very good chances then they're they're they got a list just like we have and so, therefore, they're going to be ready to pounce and try to find someone or to get that right type of player. And it doesn't preclude them from getting another offensive lineman in the draft, which, I mean, they're going to have to get a guard as well, no matter what, because of Elijah Wilkinson uh, being a, a free agent. So, anyway, the NFL, whew, it's going to be a crazy week. Fun. I mean, the NFL didn't used to be this crazy. It's is it because these quarterbacks? Does that make it even crazier? Do you think, Russ? Uh, yeah, right. I think so. I, I mean, you've got that. That there's no question because the the league MVP that no, everybody says is a really good quarterback got the non-exclusive franchise franchise tag, and then Daniel Jones got the forty million dollar contract. So it's just <laughs> chaos all over the place. No kidding. No kidding. Well, it's 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 a week away, and we're going to have a a lot of of uh, speculation, a lot of rumors, and it's going to be fun to try to see how the Falcons and the Jaguars, for that matter, put these rosters together. All right, we're going to take a break, come back, talk a little baseball and also basketball as well as we uh, see Georgia and Georgia Tech in their conference tournaments. Hawks back in action tonight, so we'll talk about that a little bit. With Russ Brown back in Macon, I'm Bill Shanks in Waycross. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. Braves are not having a very good day today against the Dominican Republic down at Northport. Dylan Dodd pitched two and two-thirds innings of work, four hits, five runs, three walks, two strikeouts, and one home run. And the Dominican lineup is packed with very, very good players. Again, some of these WBC World Baseball Classic teams are scrimmaging against some of the major league teams. Braves will play, I believe, Puerto Rico tomorrow. Yep. And uh, today it was the Dominican Republic. 
So Dylan Dodd, who had two very good innings and then kind of uh, lost it in the third inning. Look, I, I mentioned this, not that I'm wanting to um, um, you know, make fun of the fact he gave up some runs, but I think that Dylan Dodd is a player that we need to keep in mind. Dylan Dodd was a college draft pick two years ago. He probably would have been a draft pick in the 2020 draft if not for the fact they cut it to only five rounds with COVID, which I didn't really understand. But anyway, and so um, he went in the third round in 2021 out of college. He's uh, an older pitcher, obviously, and therefore you kind of wonder, you know, what his chances of helping his team are going to be this year. Atlanta, uh, if Ian Anderson is the fifth starter, could have Michael Soroka, Darius Vines, Bryce Elder, Dylan Dodd, Colby Allard in the rotation, and AAA Gwinnett. And those names are very important because we know how many pitchers it takes to get through a six-month season. And if Dylan Dodd uh, goes to AAA and proves that he's the best one of the five, he could be the one called up. A lot of times... A lot of times it depends on where the where the rotation is and who's up for uh, pitching, you know, who's had the rest, so forth and so on, because a lot of times like that, those pitchers who are called up are called up with very short notice. And I think Dylan Dodd, though, is one pitcher who we could see a lot of later today. Rossiel Iglesias pitched an inning, walked two, struck out two, no runs. Uh, A.J. Minter. Struck out the side. He gave up two hits. Interesting note about this, though. Mark Bowman of MLB.com reported on Twitter that A.J. Minter is actually winding up. A.J. has not been a a starting pitcher since he was at uh, Texas A&M in college, but he's winding up, and at least the tweet that was given to explain that was – included the notion of he thinks it will help his timing because you may remember that uh, while he was no Kenley Jansen, A.J. Minter was also one who did take a little time, uh, sometimes too much time in between his pitches being out there on the mound. But how will that go, Russ? Now, that's interesting to see those kind of changes for someone who, as a reliever, never went to the windup, even with no one on base. He would just always start from the stretch. I wonder how much we'll see that this year. Yeah, I, I do too. And, that, I, I, you know, obviously we're not in A.J. Minter's head. Uh, but it does – I raise an eyebrow because it, because my first thought is, is the pitch clock already in his head or is this just simply an adjustment? And then the other thing too, if you're going from the windup um, – yeah. What, is it going to affect you? How is that going to affect you when guys are on base and you and you have to go do something else? Because I don't think you, especially now that they're trying to encourage stolen bases, you definitely don't want to go from the windup with men on. So that's interesting. No. That's definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I think we'll see some just alterations that pitchers are going to feel like they have to have in order to kind of make the adjustment of going quicker. You know, I always thought that one of the problems with the pitchers not being in the windup was that they were going too quick. They were doing it really from the belt. And I, I mean, that's, that's a little, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily like that all the time. I think kind of old school. I, I like the old windup. I like the pitcher starting from the windup and even going over his head. I've always 
found that very interesting. The change in baseball compared to years ago when just about everybody went over their head with their delivery on their windup happened probably in the last 20, 25 years where a lot of the pitchers have simply uh, gone from the belt, uh, stretch or wind up, and, you know, it's those kind of things right there, though, that kind of have a red flag on it for me because when people ask the question, well, why are we having more arm injuries, it makes me wonder, well, maybe we're not winding up as much, and that, that's something I've said on the show for about 10 years, wondering if that could be part of the equation. But nonetheless, for a reliever who's not come out of the windup very much in his career to all of a sudden have to do it to try to get a rhythm and to try to get a routine almost in his delivery to not go so slow, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot of uh, pitchers who we may see some little tweaks in their delivery. Tell you what, speaking of delivery, Russ, did you happen to to read or see the article that I believe his name is Eno Saris did in the athletic about Spencer Strider. I, I saw it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, though. Well, I, I'll tell you. You know how I love pitching, and that article was number one outstanding. Number two, very very detailed, and number three, above my pay grade intellectually. It it was. Um, and, and I encourage everybody. I think the athletic does a great job. I'm not saying that because Daniel working there. I, I, I'm a subscriber. I think for the most part, uh, with exception of the Georgia writer, they do a great job of, of covering the teams and covering the sports. But in that article about Spencer Strider, it had comments from him on how he learned about what he needed his style of pitching to be as someone who really was a fastball slider pitcher to succeed with only two pitches. And, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was like, man, what are you thinking? Are you thinking too much? Why don't you just get out there on the damn mound and throw the ball? But, you know, that's not the way pitchers are anymore. Pitchers are very intelligent and do think about their release angle. There's your new phrase for the year, Russ, release angle. Um, You know, where are they releasing the ball? How are they trying to get a certain movement on the ball? And Spencer Strider talked about the fact that, you know, everybody harps on the fact that he only has two pitches. And then they had some comments from a an instructor at driveline who said, you know, it, it's, it's almost like you're trying to make the decision, all right, do I throw a third pitch for the hell of it because everybody says I need a third pitch when that third pitch is not very effective, what are the percentages of a substandard third pitch being more important in the arsenal of a pitcher over the course of, number one, seven innings, let's say, or 30 starts to be able to survive the whole season compared to simply having two excellent pitches and going with that? And that was interesting. I mean, how – if you throw, let's say, two very good pitches like Spencer Strider, he throws a fastball with, I mean, no doubt, velocity out the wazoo, and then he throws a slider that is hard, hard, hard slider. It's not a big change of pace. It is a hard slider. And then you try to throw a curveball like ten times in a game over the course of seven innings, you know, a little over one in the inning, or, you know, if not a curveball, a, a, you know, a changeup or a splitter or something like that. If that pitch isn't good, what's the 
what are the chances? How much higher are the chances for that third pitch that you don't think is very good or that you don't believe in or that you don't throw a whole lot of to get hit? And so that that was very interesting. And, and of course, the point of it is, can he survive not only short-term but long-term without a third pitch? Now, again, old man on the lawn, I'm going to say probably not. I think he's got to have a third pitch. And he admitted that but whether it's a, um, a, a change-up or a splitter, that he does a little bit of a sinker. He does work on it from time to time. I still think that would behoove him – uh, long-term for his career. But, Russ, I mean, when you have that much confidence in your two pitches, and when, and again, if you go read Spencer Strider's comments, when you just think, hey, uh, I, I know what my angle is, I know what I have to do to get people out, I know what their their trajectory is to try to hit me, hell, just let it go. Go with it. Yeah, it's it's almost like when, when that question needs a, a little bit more, right? It. Can you survive with uh, without a third pitch if you throw a 100 mile an hour fastball that moves? Um, and for Spen- I, I'm glad to hear though that that he is continues to work on other pitches though because you know right now he might not need it or maybe you get into a situation in a game wh- where there's a a point where you might want to go to a third pitch so it's good to have it in your back pocket. You know, but it, but if you're if you go out there in the first few innings and you're just effective with those two pitches, then you know, knock yourself out. But I remember watching Shohei Otani when we went to go see him, and this might not be a bad thing for Spencer to start thinking about. So Otani basically just threw the same two pitches for the first time through the order, and then all of yeah. a sudden he worked in about a third and a fourth and a fifth pitch as that's he got right. as he got deeper into the ball game, <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not fair. So. <laughs> You know, I I, I, I like the idea that he continues to work on not just a third pitch, but a sinker, a slider, other pitches, because there's nothing wrong with having more in your arsenal. But, you know, bring it to a game when it's ready. Uh, Like you were saying, don't just throw a substandard, you know, third or fourth pitch just for the sake of doing it. Yep, I think that that was the point that I got from the article of, you know, until – and look, Russ, pitchers get better throughout their career by adding different pitches. Uh, Look at Charlie Morton. Hell. Charlie Morton was what, Russ, 30 games under 500? Mm-hmm. And then he went to Houston and they said, uh, throw your curveball more. Well, I mean, he had always thrown a curveball, but just the notion of having to throw it more. Look at Kyle Wright, correct? I mean, Kyle Wright was lost and the Braves made some adjustments to him and, and some suggestions to him of what he should do. And it made a world of difference. So you never know how much better – Spencer Strider is going to be, but I want to tell you, you you go and look at prognostications for this coming season. There are not many people who I have seen that have not listed Spencer Strider as a Cy Young candidate. So even after 20 starts, I don't think Alex Anthopoulos is the only one who's buying stock in Spencer Strider. And I guess that's what a hundred mile an hour fastball will do for you, especially one that rises like his. I, I can't wait to see over 30 starts what this guy does. I mean, uh, he is smart as hell, which to me, Russ, is incredible considering where he went to school. (laughs) And I I just was blown away by his thought process of how he's made himself a different pitcher. we got to remember, too, this kid got to Clemson and pretty much got hurt. I mean, he he did not have the innings – to make you think he was just going to be a, a 
anything close to what he is. I mean, there's no high school innings, no college innings. The more, most innings he's ever pitched in one year was last season. And, man, he's just um, – I, I can't wait. I mean, I, I love my boy Max, but, man, Spencer, that's, that almost became appointment television last year, didn't it? Yeah, he, look, it's a show, man. When, when you see a major league pitcher go out there and he can – I mean, Bill, when he's got that fastball, when it's really moving, I mean, he could literally say, here it comes – and they can't yeah. do anything with it. And that's no. just so fun to watch somebody do that. And I think what makes him – or I should say gives him the potential to really be special is with the type of stuff that he has, he doesn't have to think. I mean, he could he could just go be a closer with those two pitches and, and be one of the best closers in baseball. But he does, you know, have that intelligence that he can uh, add into the mix. Not to say closers are stupid, but, you know, he can overpower you and outthink you. And I think that gives him the yeah. potential to be really special. I think that's why Alex Anthopoulos felt confident in giving him the money that he gave him. Okay, let's say in year three of this deal, 2024, 2025 rather, something happens where he's just not as effective as we thought he was going to be. Or something happens that makes you think, well, I don't know if he should be a starter or not. Whether it's Brace have a lot of them, who knows? Just throwing this out here. I, I think, look, you want to talk about a backup plan? Oh, yeah. Throw that sucker into the bullpen and see what he would do. But for right now, no point in that. You've got someone who can go deep in games, and his goal is to go deeper in games, which is going to be tough because of all those strikeouts, and he knows it. But he is—he's uh, an impressive young man. He really is. I, I am uh, just uh, thrilled that this has worked out for the Braves. You kind of hope and pray that your team will get a player like this that will just control the game. And I think he's done that. Uh, When I was mentioning all the different possibilities for the AAA rotation, I've left one out that I wanted to mention. Jared Schuster, the number one draft pick from a few years ago, pitched last night against the Red Sox, and he did very, very well. He pitched three no-hit, no-run innings, one walk and four strikeouts, and he has not allowed an earned run so far this spring. Jared Schuster has um, not really had a great reputation as some huge uh, prospect because, for the most part, uh, he doesn't throw hard, and that's kept some people from really buying into him. But he's done well this spring in a couple of games, and I, I just uh, I'm anxious to see how he can do. He's uh, he's uh, a good prospect, maybe not a great prospect, but you need those kind of pitchers to be middle and end-of-the-rotation type starting pitchers, and I think that there's nothing wrong with stockpiling those type of pitchers at all in AAA, like Bryce Elder, like Jared Schuster, like Colby Allard, who are all having very, very good springs so far down in Florida. We'll take a break, come back, and talk a little basketball as we continue on this midweek show right after this. Welcome back, and thank you for being with us. Again, not in Blackshear at Carter's. They had something come up and ask if we could do the show from Carter's Fried Chicken again sometime soon, which we will do. And, hate they were not over there, but I understand. And happy to come back at a, another time later in the month to do the show from Carter's Fried Chicken, one of our new sponsors on the Superstations in Blackshear and Waycross. We hope you'll go over there, or if you're in 
Blackshear, go to there because it is a great restaurant. Many people in South Georgia know that already. It's right there on Gordon Street, and it is great chicken, great squash, great food there at Carter's Fried Chicken in Blackshear. All right, Russ, time to play What Will the Hawks Do Tonight? (laughs) (laughs) What will they do tonight against the Washington Wizards? (sighs) Who the heck knows? They'll score a lot of points, but they'll give up (laughs) a lot too. (laughs) Yeah, that's about it. That we know. It'll be a uh, scoring machine. It seemed like every game right now is over 120. I mean, literally, uh, we sound like we're joking. Uh, We're kind of serious. What do you expect – from game to game from this team. They can go out there and play really well, and you're like, wow, what was that? And the next game they can fall short or simply lay an egg. And, and of course, they I haven't really laid an egg. Oh, well, the game, the games in Miami were tough. The games in Miami, they, they did not play very well, and I'm sure that Quinn Snyder is not very happy with how those two games played out. It was an important stretch of games. So are these two against Washington because they play tonight and Friday in the nation's capital. But those two games against Miami were important. They're chasing Miami. And, Russ, they just didn't look like they could stack up with them, to be honest with you. No, and, uh, you know, I think it was kind of a matchup issue, too, there with the Heat, which, I mean, we saw that yeah. last year in the playoffs, which is the whole yep. reason they went and got DeJounte Murray. So they, they've maybe made some improvements there. But it just – and listening to what Quinn Schneider had to say after that loss, it, it, it look, it sounds like, you know, they're not just casting away this season, but it, it's more about working on things and focusing on improvement more than the score of the games right now, which – it's an odd thing to say in March for an NBA team that is going to be in the play-in tournament. But at the same time, I mean, he's only been the coach for three games. And it's almost like it, it, it's like a bonus 20 games that he gets as head coach to evaluate this roster. And then, he, you know, he gets an entire offseason uh, and he goes into it knowing exactly what he wants to do. So, you know, when the season tips off next year, yeah, they should be ready to be at that team that we thought they could be, which is an upper – you know, top tier, you know, fourth or fifth best team in the Eastern Conference. I think that's the next step for this team. So, and and also too, I think if you kind of focus on improvement over this court, this period right now, and you're able to make improvements by the time you get to the play-in tournament, in theory, you should be playing your best basketball. You would think. And look, we we've seen this team turn it on before, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Um, we we saw it last year, last season, I should say, when right after Christmas. Uh, when they were having a terrible time even fielding a team uh, on on the uh, on the court because of COVID and some of the issues they were having with the health of their players, they came back like in January and won seven in a row. We were like, okay, here they go, and then they tailed off again. So the inconsistency is what has been so difficult to to deal with as a fan, and I think Quinn Snyder is going to feel that frustration firsthand if he continues to see this team have these kind of games like they had the other night there are stretches where they're like wow they're fixing to just take off and beat this team and then they'll they'll lose it and they can't stop anybody and that is so frustrating and it's disappointing when you watch a game and you want to watch a team that you know has good talent and they just um, can't get over that hump and and do what they need to do and it's it it's disappointing it it really is i'm going to watch them tonight i'll see what they do but I, again, to not really expect anything one way or the other, good or bad. I don't know if that's 
a good thing to do going into a game or, or what. You want to feel good about your team going into a game, especially when they have uh, a, a matchup against a team that is right behind them. It's it's just crucial for them to win these games. And so far on this road trip, uh, they have not been able to do that. All right. Um, before we get to college basketball, I just wanted to mention that the Braves have lost nine to nothing uh, to the Dominican Republic uh, team, which w- was not going to be easy. They had a really good lineup for the Dominican Republic. The Braves did get two hits from Forrest Wall, who is a player we need to keep an eye on as well, as far as a potential reserve for this team. He had two more hits now hitting. Uh, well, that's a different batting average than one for the Grapefruit League. I guess they've started over. But he's had a good year. I think he had four stolen bases before today. He had two more today, so he's got six on the spring. They're not counting these stats with the uh, uh, Grapefruit League stats. But anyway, only six hits for the Braves today, and Wall had uh, two of them. He was the only player with more than one hit. Um, so Marcel Azuna, 0 for 3. And uh, he needs to get going, of course. Andy Echeverria, one for one for two on the day. And uh, not a whole lot of regulars playing for the Braves. Darno 0 for 2. And Arcia went 0 for 3 in the game as the Braves lose 9 to nothing to the Dominican Republic and play Puerto Rico tomorrow in Northport. All right, Georgia plays tonight. They will play against LSU 9 o'clock Eastern time at the SEC tournament in Nashville. Georgia 16 and 15 on the year, 6 and 12 in the SEC. Uh, they, uh, of course, uh, lost the regular season finale the other day to South Carolina by six points, 61 to 55. If Georgia wins, they'll play Jerry Stackhouse and the Vanderbilt Commodores on Thursday night at nine o'clock. And you know, look, uh, if they lose tonight, their season's over, and they'll finish at 500, which wouldn't be a little bit of a disappointment compared to what their record was because they have lost five in a row in eight of their last ten games to to really kind of uh, put their winning season that they look to be on pace for in jeopardy. But, Russ, I I still, considering the comparison between this year and last year, I don't know how anybody gets too upset at what Mike White's done in his rookie year. Yeah, it's been a a disappointing stretch here uh it'd be nice if they won tonight just because you have a little bit better taste in your mouth but i mean he checked the improvement box i think before the new year hit so um and you know it's just you're going to want to build off of this and and really look into these last few games and figure out what happened and work on that on the off season absolutely and go get some some transfers go to that portal and stack up because that's what college basketball is becoming day after day Georgia and LSU tonight in Savannah and Macon on the Superstations. You are listening to The Bill Shanks Show.